Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. This is Jason. I'm Megan. I'm John. And Jennifer. So we are back in the dock. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to ask, uh, what was your favorite part of summer at the park? Oh, boy. I really liked the weather. I thought literally yeah. every Sunday we were out was beautiful. We only had two, maybe three Sundays that we didn't get to go. And the, it was, right. one was the very first one. Yeah, that was. It yeah. wasn't, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was pretty crazy. I, I just... I'm used to having, you know, some overcast days pretty consistently, I feel like. But this summer was like bright and sunny, nice, gentle breeze. It was great. Yeah, there were a great. couple days that were pretty hot, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah. You know, I think uh, obviously baptism in the lake was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Seeing the energy and the momentum that took place at that was, I still think about that. That was such mm-hmm. a great day. Um, one of the things that was really fun for me this year in the park is I met a lot of people who came for the first time. I was just going to say that. Who some were visiting, but I talked to a lot of people from our community, Ventura, Garner. Yeah. Um, I had several individuals who had wandered by before but never really sat down. And I, I probably talked to four or five individuals that started coming every week, which was really cool. Did you have similar yeah, experiences? Yeah, similar experiences. Yeah. We're just, people were like, we're, we've heard about it. We're coming to check it out. And we've been checking it out. And that yeah, that was very cool. fresh this year too. Refreshing too. I think coming off of a year of COVID, yes, people were finally excited to just be outside and be around other people without worry. Because last year we had we had it in the park last year, but there was still that. Eh, didn't talk to people as yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. kept your distance. So, but this year was just alive and fresh. So I'm not gonna lie. Even though the last Sunday, because we share it with Antiques, the Antique Roadshow, or whatever the thing is called. Antique <laughs> Roadshow, it's not that. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever it's called. Antiques in the Park. Antiques in the Park. What I really liked is having everybody come forward. Like, it made it feel so much fuller, and, like, it felt more like a community. I think that's the only downside of the park is you have that black hole that is where the sun all shines. But it's so hot there otherwise. You can't mm-hmm. sit there. I was just going to say one of my favorite parts this summer too was um, our prayer team this year was intentional about going out and asking yeah. people if they wanted prayer and they covered a lot of prayer on that, on those grounds. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And, and our numbers up until August, which August is when people start kind of going back to their normal rhythms, we were almost 900 every week. Pretty consistently. Which yeah. was really fun to see and just seeing the stuff that God did there. I got to tell you, Derek, the last three weeks, he did an amazing job uh, finishing off the park. I'm um, talking about the community, the cross, and the new creation. I was, it was really great to have that. Um, well, hey, we're now in the dock and we're starting our new series. And it's a four week series where we're actually talking about kind of the new values and vision. And, uh, and intentionally, for those of you who are listening, so. Our tagline in the past was uh, Zion Power for the Journey. And as we were thinking through just kind of this realignment of focus and revisioning and kind of where we're heading, we kind of we're moving into a new season. And now I'm not going to we're, we're not going to share it yet because it's coming out. But uh, this last, last Sunday, we actually kind of we kicked things off talking about this whole concept of Tov, uh, which Tov is Hebrew for the word good. Now, sermon read through was interesting because. Uh, I think one of the conversations we had is that 
are we equating tov with good? Does good just, does tov just mean good? And I think the problem becomes is that much like our word love, uh, love in Hebrew or in Greek, our word love is really cheapened because I say uh, I love a candy bar just like I say I love my children or I love my wife or I love Jesus or I love a home-cooked meal. Um, that word love is often overused. Uh, and in Hebrew, the word for love or covenantal love is hesed. And hesed actually means like there's like 50 or 60 different definitions of what hesed is. It's so much more than love. Well, tov is like that. Um, tov is first used in Genesis. And it's actually, I think it's in the first several verses when God said, let there be light. And he made the day, day and the night, night. And then he said, let, let it, and it was good. It was tov. And then he goes on and with the exception of day two of each day of creation, at the end of it, he says, each day was tov. It was good. And often, and here's what my first question I want to kind of talk about. When we think about good, much like the word love, I think our definition is too slim. When you guys think about the word good, what comes to mind for you immediately? I mean, are there examples of things? And, and how do you think sometimes maybe we overuse that word in our culture today? I think of it as like an A to an A minus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's good, but it's not the best or great or it's, and it's not okay. It's a little better than okay. It's kind of at that like A, A minus. You still have some room to improve. But overall, nice effort. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I even think sometimes we use the word good to mean it's okay. Just okay. Yep. Like, it yeah. Good. It's all in our inflection. Yeah. I'm good. It's, yeah. Right. Which is I'm, I'm not really good. I'm it's not, just. I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm Which... good. I'm good. <laughs> but isn't that crazy that a word that has so, the tove has just so much depth and meaning to it. And then we use good so much like love. Yeah, yeah. just so it's, free. It's, it's very flippant. Flippant, yes. When, and when you're saying that, and I, I, was, this, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point, is in Hebrew, that word tov can mean the best. In fact, at the end of creation, on day six after he creates mankind, he said it was very tov, very good. And the idea is that it's exactly how it should be. I mean, that's one of the definitions for Tove is things are exactly how they should be. They're, you couldn't add, you can't make it better. It would be an A++. If you could get extra credit, God got 102%. Um, let's, I want to talk about that in the church a little bit because one of the things we examples we talked about is how often we misuse this word because, we, for instance, we define um, the world good versus bad. Uh, the Avengers, good guys versus bad guys. Um, if you're on the good side or on the wrong side of of history, uh, even salvation, a good Christian versus bad Christian. Okay, now here's, this is a pet peeve for me, but I want to hear you guys. What comes to mind when somebody says good Christian? What do you think of? Shame. Yeah. I immediately go there, but that's just because I'm spending a lot of time looking into Shame, that. Say more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just this idea that um, if, if it's, that you're not good enough. That it, what is a good Christian? Well, yeah. you can always be better. There's always things to improve. And so that if I'm being a good Christian, if I say I'm a good Christian, I probably have some pride issues, which means I'm not a good Christian. If I'm not, if, if I, I'm so humble. I'm so humble. I'm, I'm the humblest I'm guy I know. I'm a really good Christian. Yeah. Did you know really good I met somebody almost as humble as me, but I, I set them straight. And sure. I let them know they're almost as humble as I am. Right, Perfect. Right, good. Yeah. It was John. It was good. It was, it was good. It was Tove. <laughs> um, and so often I think it's like, I'm, it's, I'm not good enough. 
It's, yeah. There are things I could do better to be a good Christian or look, or, or it's that um, issue of comparison. Look at that yeah. person. Look how much they pray. Look how much they read their Bible. Look how much they know about their care, Bible characters. I'm not, I'm not good enough. And yeah. so that, that is shame. And we you do. Know. Yeah, go ahead. You hit on all the stereotypes of what a good Christian don't smoke, don't smoke, don't drink, don't yeah, it's all go the to church every Sunday. Right? Yeah. yeah, everything you do rarely is it have anything to do with a person's actual relationship yeah. or or their heart their view. Or yes, <laughs> and and think about how twisted that makes good seem. Right, like we've we've actually cheapened good. We've we've made good bad. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that one. So right. I mean, even even thinking about in Genesis when God declared the days good, we think of good as moral or virtuous as ethical, which is that is one of the definitions for good in Hebrew. Um, but the Bible puts it so much bigger than that. And when we use it and we cheapen it, or we use it as a way of comparison, good versus bad Christian, who are the bad Christians? Well, the bad Christian is the person who all they cuss. And that's usually what leads to gossip. I mean, how often have you heard, and I've been guilty of this in my life where I'll use a bad Christian as an excuse to gossip about that person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did you know so-and-so they're sleeping around with somebody? They're not a very good Christian. Um, and that the Bible never uses that term for Christians. The Bible never talks about being a good Christian or a bad Christian. And I, I 100% agree with you. I've tried over the last probably 15, 16 years because I realized how heavy that weight of trying yeah. to be good was. I think a better understanding is, are you healthy versus unhealthy? Because healthy is a state of, it's, it's a position that's always moving. And healthier Christians, you're never ultimately healthy because we're all dying. <laughs> <laughs> But an unhealthy Christian, it doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. It just means they're not walking in the fullness of what God has. Well, all of us have unhealthy things mm-hmm. and all of us have healthy things. Yeah. Um, how about you, John? What do you think of when you think of good? Well, I think like that, that idea of a good Christian versus a bad Christian, it's like, I always go back to the, there's that verse where um, uh, the, I think it's the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Why do you call me good? No one no. is good except God. And it's yeah. like, it, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's a humbling reminder. It's like, it doesn't matter how much of the things I do or perform in, it's, am I looking back toward God and where's my relationship with God? Because I'm going to have good days, quote unquote. I'm going to have bad days. What's important is my relationship with Jesus. And, yeah. you know, thinking about that, I have to remind myself because on some days I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously, of course. But there are days where I catch myself thinking, I didn't do enough today. Yeah. I didn't do hardly anything today, you know. And it's just such an identity. Yeah. I, I think enough is an identity killer. That yeah. word enough. kills enough. identity. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, if I ask somebody. Or good. I think good's an identity killer. Yes. Oh, we, we need to do a whole series on that identity killers. Because, I mean, think about it. If, someone, if I were to ask you, do you feel like you pray enough? And if you said yes, you're like, well, that guy's kind of full of yeah. himself. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, you, can't, you can't say yes uh, or no. It's like, which is why Paul says his grace is enough. The only enough the Christian needs is God's grace. Yeah. Because the idea is it's satisfaction. Well, and in Genesis, when, when Paul, when Paul, we were just talking about Paul. When uh, the writer of, of Genesis, most likely Moses, is using that word good, he's not talking about moral or ethical. And how do we know that? Because light versus dark is not a moral thing. It's as it should be. But really how we learn that is through the antithesis, which is when God creates Adam and Adam is alone and God says, it is not good. It's not tov, meaning it's not how it should be. Because the problem becomes, and I think this is a shame piece, 
when I meet people who are struggling to find a relationship or who never get married, they feel like there's some, there's a deficit in them. Because I think that's one of the things we've taught in our culture is, oh, well, if you're not married, you have to be married to be good. Yeah. And that's, that's how we know that Tob isn't referring, referring to morality in the case of Genesis chapters one and two. Really, a better understanding is to be good, to be Tob means it's exactly the way God wanted it. And it wasn't good that Adam was alone because he was created for relationship, not necessarily marriage. Otherwise, if somebody doesn't get married, it means they're in sin. And that's not biblical because even Paul tells us it's better not to be married. Um, Can yeah. I say something real quick? Yeah. I was thinking about, uh, you said this in the sermon, in the sermon read through, just about how it wasn't until there was no definition of Tove until there was the not Tove, until there was what wasn't good. And so imagine, imagine a world or a reality where everything is as it should be and you don't know that it's not as it should be or well, that it is as it should. Like yeah. that you don't know any different that, that yeah. there is a not Tove. Yes. And that's the, the thing we find when, when the reason why God tells Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for years, I was like, what's the big deal? Like, why wouldn't God want us to know evil from good? Like, that's, isn't that the goal of every person? And the reason was, is that prior to that, God defined what was good. And everything in the garden was good. And the only thing that wasn't, God solved. God solved the problem. Adam didn't solve the problem. And here's the problem we have, is that in wisdom, human wisdom is us trying to solve the problem of good versus evil. And had Adam been like, you know what, God, I don't like this being alone thing. I'm going to go figure this out. That would have been not tov, not good. And so the reason why God says, I don't want you to do that is the state that we're supposed to be in is a state in which God defines good. Therefore, we don't need to know what yeah. evil is because right. there is no evil at that point. Evil only exists when we disobey or stop trusting God. And so when I understood that and also I'm like, oh, wow. So the reason why God said, don't do this is it's not because God was afraid that you're going to be like him, even though that was Satan's lie. It's like God saying, wait, do you really think that you're going to know goodness? You're going to know Tove? You're going to know beauty better than I do? Yeah. And isn't that what most of our problems are? How often we try and fix our own not Tove. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of picture like there's that scene uh, where Adam's looking at, this is how I picture it playing out. He's looking at all the animals and going, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that is it says he found no suitable helper but i'm picturing adam going yeah i'm not attracted to that like <laughs> that that doesn't do it for me god <laughs> like, mm -mm, nope. interestingly and i think i may have talked about this a couple weeks ago uh when it says that uh that god formed eve from adam's side that word side is not best translated as rib it's actually best translated as the side of a holy structure the side of the temple. And so the idea is, is that it's really, it's not that God took a rib from us. That's our best, the language they used, but really that Eve was meant to be part of something holy. She was taken from something that was already holy. Therefore she is holy. That's a better rendering of it. And when I understood that again, now Tove makes a whole lot more sense because sure. it's not just about relationship. Relationships are holy. They're supposed to be, which is Tove. That's, community is holy. Community is holy. God is in community. We talked about that a couple weeks right. ago. And how together man and woman are good. Yes. But apart, it's not yet complete. And how true that is of just when you, I don't know, if you're married or picture your, yourself in a relationship, how much you rely on the other person to bring the goodness that you need to carry out your covenant of marriage. Like, 
It takes both. But then if somebody can't be married, does that mean that they're incomplete? No. No, because you still have community. Mm-hmm. Right. Isolation yeah. is not tov. No, I was going to say, when you take it to the by yourself, which is something that I, I know I struggle with sometimes where I'm just like, all right, I've had enough of the world today. I'm going to shut the door and, you know, go online. I'm going to play video games. I'm going to read a book. You know, it's just all scroll these. Scroll on my phone. Scroll on my phone. That's a big Guilty. one. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that's when it becomes dangerous when yeah. it's just like, you know, this isn't, that's not Tove, you know, yeah. to use that word. It's, it's, it's not good for us to be alone because we're in relationship. Yeah. Community. So there are a couple books that I, and we're more than a couple, but two primary books that I quoted from. Um, one I read about a year and a half ago is by a guy named Ray Johnston. He's the pastor at Bayside, uh, you know, Lincoln Brewster, mm-hmm. worship oh, leader. Sure. That's his church out cool. in uh, San Francisco, not Sa- Sacramento, California. Um, he wrote a book called The Hope Quotient. And uh, I lent it to a friend of mine and they just brought it back. And I was like, oh, I forgot how good this book is. And as I was processing and praying and thinking through this message, realizing that a lot of what the world struggles with is a lack of hope. And what they're wanting from the church is somebody to show them that there actually is hope in the world. And it doesn't mean that people are always hopeless, but I think we, I mean, even just talking about the last month between Afghanistan and Haiti and Haiti and, and Ida, and Ida, and now the new one coming through. What's the new one coming through? I haven't through? heard about that. So yeah, there's you. another hurricane. Like <laughs> it just seems like there's always bad news. Yeah. And and now the pandemic. You know, we've got the Delta variant and, the and mu, the mu, mu, mu yeah. variant. Mu is the Greek. Mu nu. That's there's the Greek word right there. Okay. Mu is next. <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, it's not okay. You didn't know you were gonna get a Greek lesson. I here. did not. Lambda mu nu. Those are L M N. That's that's oh. where we. Yeah. Anyways, Greek. Way to go. I thought it had something to do with cows, but no. No, it has nothing to do with cows. But I look at our world and our people are longing for hope. And, and here's, as I was thinking through this, how good is the church at actually presenting hope? Like, and let's be, I want to be honest here. And I. Yeah, I have a thought. Yeah. Um, immediately what I go to is we have, to use this phrase with like love and toe, we've cheapened hope to be positivity mm-hmm. or optimism. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that does a, a, a huge injustice and it, um, I don't really want to have, I don't really, I want to be able to have hope and still like not have to be chipper. You, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, you, everything is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you want, I know for me, like I always, I always want people to feel good. You know, I, I really enjoy it when people around me are like having a good time or happy or. I don't like walking into a room and going, oh my gosh, something horrible has happened. People are crying or it's, you know, I don't like that feeling, but to force that on somebody or to force that on people and say, oh, God just wants you to be happy. We should just be happy. It's, no, you can still be sad or upset or confused or distraught or whatever it happens to be and still have hope yeah. in Jesus. I think that's one of the coolest things about reading psalms is there's so many examples of like the writer just going what the heck god what's going on yeah why'd you abandon me and finishing up but my hope is still still in you yeah in the lord yeah and i feel like um you know life is really hard so if we have to put on this front of happiness all the time and like well it's just gonna be okay that that i don't that pisses me off. To, yeah. I don't know if I can say that on a podcast, <laughs> but it, it's just—it's just not fair. Try—try try telling somebody 
as they watch their mom die that it's good like that it's good or that there's or when they be quote romans like, at them no, like no this sucks yeah. right now but we have a future hope in christ and yeah. that is glorious yeah like when when people i'm, I'm watching manifest right now <laughs> and the theme of romans eight twenty eight is throughout it because cool. that's a verse that's, that's used verse. They, but they don't use it in context obviously but it's just you know god works together all things for good but then they neglect the last part for those who love him yeah and, and called according to his purpose. That's right. Yeah. And and the problem becomes is that we cheapen hope just like we cheapen the word good. And I'll be honest, I don't know that the church always does a good job of representing hope, um, being a place of hope. Yeah. I think a lot of times what we think what presents hope is programs. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're doing this thing. See, that's hope. Begin in a small group. That's hope. And I'm not saying that those are bad things. We need those things. Don't get me wrong. I think they're wonderful. The sermon sermons are good but at the end of the day how many sermons do you actually remember yeah there's a a quote and i don't remember who it was by um most people cannot remember a sermon that was preached to them two weeks ago but you can remember a song yeah and it's funny i think part of the reasons why even worship we've taught one of the common conversations we've had in our uh in our staff is how long should worship be and one of the pointed directions we've gone is we want singing, we want our singing, our praise to the Lord to be uninterrupted, which is why if you're listening to this, you may have noticed that we stopped doing offering typically during the first three songs because we want there to be an engagement. But here's the thing, singing actually activates something inside of us differently than even a message does. Sure. But more importantly, it's one of the things that we are participating in with God. Where was I? I got rabbit trailed. Sorry. Oh, I remember where I was going. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if this was on it, but when you when you are feeling hopeless, to be reminded of God's faithfulness through song. Yeah. That's what you remember. <clears throat> you may. I don't remember scripture. And that's what I was going. I remember going. what I've praised the Lord through. Which is why we have psalms. That's yeah. you just brought the tail back for me. Thank you. <laughs> we got it. We got I was it. I was chasing my tail, but then forgot why I was doing it. Yeah. Um, but that's the whole reason why you have psalms. The psalms are songs because songs remind us of things. And we can remember a song. Songs yeah. are designed to be reminded, remembered. Yeah. And part of what we're focusing on this year and, and uh, really realigning ourselves is that this idea of being tov, tov is so much more than just good. Anything that is as it should be, that the way God designed it is tov, it is good, but Good is not a great word to use because it's limited. Because again, we've cheapened the word, which is why when God says at the end of six days, it was very good. He doesn't mean like, oh, it was, it was an A. He means it was the best it could be. It's a better translation would be is exactly how God wanted it. And when we love well, we're being very good. But when we're loving well for Jesus, now we're being told. Which kind of brings into another question that we talked about is Paul Actually, it starts off in Psalm one, uh, Psalm fourteen, and a few other psalms, uh, as well as I think Isaiah and Ezekiel. It talks about that there's no one good. Actually, uh, the text. Uh, let me find it here. When we read the text, the text itself comes in and it says this: "The fool says in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God." All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Like that's an absolute statement. Now, Psalms is poetic. So you could be like, oh, he's just being, he's being, he's he's being hyperbole, hyperbole, right? Just trying to prove a point. But then Paul quotes the same thing in Romans chapter three, when he says, there is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. 
All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And so in Sermon Read Through, we started talking about, well, wait a second. You know, that's there are people who do good. And the question becomes, wait, atheists, a, non, a non-believer, uh, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Hindu, can they do good, good things? Excuse me. Yes. But why does God... Not def- only can they, they do. And But why does God define them as evil? And we had a long conversation about this in Sermon Read Through because it's kind of a hard concept is um, at one point, I think it's in Isaiah, and I know Paul says very similar things, is that your good works are like dirty rags before the Lord. And not to be gross. And by, that also, by the way, means our good works that are not... Apart from, apart apart from, from Christ. Christ. Yeah. They're worthless. But why? And I think it goes back to Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2. And oh, actually Genesis chapter 3. Because when we are the ones who define what is good, that's why he starts off with, there is no one who seeks after God. Adam and Eve, the sin they fell into, wasn't biting of an apple. <laughs> First of all, it probably wasn't an apple. The, the fruit was not the issue. It was why they ate the fruit. Why, what were they really tempted by? What they were really tempted by was the idea that God doesn't, know, God doesn't need to be the only one who knows good. I should be able to get to define good as well. And when you do good apart from God, that's what makes it evil. It's not that you're Adolf Hitler or that you're an evil person. It's that you're doing it out of your own wisdom, and therefore it's apart from God. That's what makes it evil. What was the word you wanted to use? You're like, is there a better word than evil to use? Because evil, I think of like. Uh, well, we were talking about holy and not holy. Holy, holy and not holy. Yeah. Or tov and not tov. And and the evil has its own connotations, but it's evil because it's apart from the Lord. That's right. Because the Lord is holy, and so everything. Because God's holy, everything opposite of that is evil. But we don't we don't always think of evil that way. We think of evil as like evil bad, intent. Or like the bad scary guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we you think know? of evil as intent. Like yeah. I remember when when I was younger, I thought that if you weren't a Christian, you were incapable of doing good in the world. And if you did it, you were always doing it for self selfish motives. Now very immature view. And it came from bad theology, because I read these verses and went, Well, the Bible says right here that everything you do is for the wrong reasons. But I've met people who are quite frankly, want nothing to do with God and some of the most compassionate, yeah. loving, gracious people. Selfless. Selfless. Generous. They're not generous and they're not doing it for their own glory. I know individuals yeah. who have given more than most Christians and want no credit for it. Well, how is that selfless? And when the Bible defines that as evil, that makes it sound like, well, that seems weird. But what makes it evil is not the act. It's that they're the ones who defined it. That's not Tove. Yeah. Tove, and this is what Adam and Eve fell into, is they wanted to define it. It doesn't mean that God couldn't use it, or as the language you used, maybe even authored it. Because, yeah, I mean, God used God uses God uses non-believers for His kingdom glory all the time. That's right, but they're not going to be rewarded for right. that. Oh, this is crazy, and I, I I wish I could find the text. So, uh, I think it's Isaiah. God tells uh, the tribe of, uh, of Israel, he says, listen, unless you repent, I'm going to send the Assyrians and they're going to wipe you out. And they don't. The kings don't repent. And so in 722 BC, the Assyrians come. And God, it says, God's the one who orchestrated that. God sent them. And then God says, and because you hurt my people, now you're going to be wiped out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you want to talk about a mind-blowing, like, wait a second, but God, you told them to do that. Yeah, but you still don't mess with God's people. So God, I mean, do I get that? Does that seem fair to me? Well, God's not about fairness. It's not about fair. Fair is not tov. 
Fair is a human construct because I define fair. God has never said he's fair. He's just. And when we think about this idea of goodness and the church, and this is really what I, I want us to spend a little bit more time on today. We talked about this idea of so often when we think of good, we define it internally. So the internal definitions of good, are you a good person? Have I done good? Meaning things that you've done. And we, we need to do that. God is good and did good, but because he is the ultimate source of good, anything he does is good. We're not God. And so I added this third element in there, which is how do we do things that are outside of us? It's about bringing good. When we talk about the church and this desire for hope or the desire to bring good, how does the church bring Tove into our city? How do we, in Zion, how do we bring it into Clear Lake, into Mason City, Ventura? What does it actually look like to bring good? I think we understand doing good. Yeah. Yeah. But are we bringing good? Because I think doing good is like we've got this launch party that we, we sure. would have had by now, right? And that's doing good. Well, but in, a non-Christian, someone who doesn't love Jesus, could do the same launch party. They, they, they do it every week on Thursdays on Main. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They, they do it. So yeah. what, what does it look like? How do we bring good? And that's really what I want us to lock into. What does it look like to bring Tove into our world? What do you guys think about that? I think uh, I go back to Derek's message a couple weeks back. I was talking about some key concepts from the Gospels. Um, and part of his message, uh, part of the overall message of the, the few weeks that he was preaching was Jesus plus and really how so many people add Jesus plus um, tithing, Jesus plus uh, good works, Jesus plus fill in the blank. And it's, well, no, but for, as far as salvation is considered, Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's all you need is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we have that, we have that unique, um, what's the word for it? We have that unique gift that we can bring to people as we're at, maybe we are doing good works. You know, maybe we are doing things um, uh, like the launch party or um, whatever it may be, but giving the reason for why we're doing it. People yeah. are asking, wondering, well, what's different about you guys? Or, you know, if they're coming to the park or if they're coming to a service, um, we believe that Jesus is, gives us the ability to do these things. And he is, he is Tove. He is good. He is the only good. Yeah. I had this kind of this visual, and I don't know if it's a bit mm. childish, but when I think of bringing good, I think of showing up for people. That that just mm. enters into my mind. And then it ha I had this next picture of like bringing good would then be like if Jesus was always with me wherever I went. And so, like, if I go, if showing up for someone means I take them a meal, then Jesus is with me delivering the meal. If it means I'm praying for someone, then Jesus is with me. And what's crazy is the Holy Spirit is with us. Yeah. Like, that is, so, but we don't always access, activate, acknowledge, I don't know what the right word is there, that the Holy Spirit is, like, this person with us going to, to do this. If I, if, like, let's just say I took a meal with someone. Super good. They don't need the meal. They need Jesus. Yeah. And so like. But what, they may not be able to hear Jesus without the meal. Yeah. Like yeah. Jesus is like the meal is the yeah. opportunity to bring Jesus to the door. That's right. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking about of bringing good was like literally going out and where, where we are 
Jesus is. And if we live with that mindset of like, that he's right by us or right, right in front of us. Again, it's, I know it's yeah. kind of childish, but that's what I thought of. Well, I, mean, I don't think that's childish. I think there's, I think there's some wisdom. Megan, I'd be curious because from a missions perspective, I think one of the dangers that we can run into as a church is we go into Africa or Peru going in, we're going to do good because we're the, we're the saviors. Mm-hmm. We're oh, the ones wow. who've got the money. We're the like, one. I feel like we should rebuke that. <laughs> that but I mean, really. I, thought, that, yeah, I know, yeah. I know what you're saying, but like, say that out loud. We are the saviors. Does not feel, does not feel, but it's a mentality but that exists, yeah, particularly within white America. Yes. And even creates the culture in other countries of looking to mm. Americans as their savior. Yeah. Um, because often we do bring the money, we do bring the medical supplies. Um, but that's, and we think we're doing it for right reasons. And sometimes we are, but it, it, we can get it clouded in our own minds as well as we are coming to yeah. bring, to rescue, to save, to do all of these things. And sometimes when we do it, even in the name of Jesus, if our posture isn't correct or our hearts aren't actually in it for that reason, that's evil. Yeah. Well, and this is exactly when we were talking about um in our religious language of the word good, most, and I still believe, and I think I changed in this, but I really believe that every war, every sin, everything that we do, whether it be a divorce, the things that happen always starts with somebody believing they knew Tove better. And one of the dangers, one of the problems that exists, particularly in Western white American churches, is we have a savior complex. And it really happens a lot in suburban churches where... <laughs> You know, it's if if we don't go, then they're they can't do it. They need us to do this. And we've now redefined good. Instead of why are we going? Because God called us to. And we're gonna learn as much from them as they are from us. And in fact, we may learn more. I remember going to Africa the first time to Limpopo. Went to Limpopo. Our church had worked with World Vision to build some um uh a uh, couple hospitals, some schools, and we're going around and the joy. We went to one village. They slaughtered a goat for us as we were coming in. I saw the goat. I didn't see it slaughtered, but they slaughtered this goat. This is a poor village. They didn't have a lot of money. Wow. They took a goat to slaughter for their guests. And I was warned not to eat the goat um, just because you can get stomach issues and that kind of stuff. But I'm like, no, they did this. And I ate a little bit. And, and the thought was amazing. But it was a trap that it was so easy for me to get into of going, oh, if, if we weren't here, they wouldn't have these things. Mm. They wouldn't have the hospital. And I, I made myself, I moved into, and guess what I was doing in that moment? That's me defining good. Mm-hmm. That's what made that evil in that moment. Now, I, did God I use did it? it? Yeah. Look what I did. I, this was not good. I defined what was not good. And that happens all the time. And it doesn't just happen there. It can happen here in Clear Lake. You know, that, well, I think it happens. I think all of us, even in our individual ministry areas that we oversee, that's an area that we can fall into yeah. regularly. It's easy to fall it's into. It's easy. Yeah. And, it's, and fun. it's fun. I always think of uh, in, in storytelling and literature or movies or what have you, the most interesting, uh, quote unquote, villains are the ones that aren't like evil, like, aha, I'm going to take over the world, you know, kind of evil. It's just they think what they're doing is right. They believe what they're doing is good. It's like, and we can look at that and go, oh, well, but they're, they're the bad guys because the movie's telling you that they're bad guys or the book is telling you they're bad guys. But that's us, too, sometimes because yeah. we can get in that mindset. Every major, can... every war, every war, somebody believed they understood good, whether it be the Americans. Think about colonization, America, uh, uh, the Europeans coming over and slaughtering American Indians. 
mm-hmm. American Native, Native American, sorry. Um, they believed it was their manifest destiny. Yeah. They defined good. Is that what scripture? Well, I read in Exodus or I read this. This is no, you are twisting, and it's so easy to do that. Um, <clears throat> which leads us to one of the things we talked about as well is how we read scripture. And we had quite a bit of conversation around this as well, is how often we think that the goal of scripture is to read for application. And and again, I think this comes down to is a lot of our sermons are, well, let me apply this to your life. And and I was actually taught for many years, well, you always have to have an application. There always has to be a benefit for somebody's life, or how do you apply this to life? But some things, the Bible's not written for that. And, and as Derek, our executive pastor, said, uh, one of the things he learned in seminary was that all of us read the Bible poorly because we've been taught that the purpose of Scripture is what? It's life application. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible. <laughs> but what do I then do with texts that have no application? Either one, I've got to twist it, or that that has no purpose for me. Therefore, yeah. I shouldn't read it. How When we talk about this change of perspective, and that's the one way I, a tip that we gave is, I'm not saying that there is an application in the Bible, because there certainly is. But I think maybe a healthier way to read Bible is for a paradigm shift, for God to give us a new way to see ourselves, to see the world. To see him. To see him. And when you think about, let's go back to that, let's go back to Genesis 3, the knowledge of good and evil. What paradigm shifts come for you? I mean, how do you apply that? Well, I don't, I don't know that you can apply it per se. I don't think I can take the knowledge of good and evil and apply it to my job or my marriage. But I think it can change my perspective. Well, I think you can apply it if you learn that your perspective is off. <laughs> that, and that's, <laughs> that's the application, right? right? But it's not right. It's not clear no, cut. No, yeah. it's, it's having the awareness and the recognition, that's what I want to say, yeah. of being like, oh, in this moment, I, I defined what was good. In this moment, I did this for me. Yeah. Like, I think that's more, Lord, help me to not do this in the future. Like, that's where the application part comes yeah, but in. But it's not clear cut. You're, it's, it's just doesn't tell you how to do something. It's not going to tell you what situations you're going to find right. this in. And you, it's not going to tell you, but it's, uh, it's the perspective, like you said, of this is different. Your this job is, different. is to figure out the application. The text may not have it there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I wonder, too, one of, the, one of the more simpler things I was thinking about it, like, I know I have come from a place of, like, I don't know that I was taught it necessarily, but I know that people have said, yeah, well, how is, what, what's this text saying to you? How can you apply this in your life? I wonder if, you know, just sometimes you read the stories of the Bible or you read about what God's doing and it's just a reminder of God's faithfulness. Who God is. To, God yeah, is. it doesn't have to be an application of like, okay, what do I need to do now? Just a reminder of who God is. And, and an, an, an opportunity to worship and praise. And for that. Op- but yeah. what's cool is if, you know, if, like you're trying to just get a character of God, characteristic of God. So mm-hmm. it is, oh, God was really faithful in this. Yeah. That actually is applicable later in your life. Sure. Because then you remember God was faithful then. Look at the times God has been yeah. faithful in my own life. God will be faithful now. Yep. But it's not going to give you a direct, but it's not like, here's the answer. <laughs> yeah, right. no. Yeah. And that I think ultimately <clears throat> everything is then applicable. Right. Even though I could read, oh, this genealogy of so-and-so and sure, think sure, sure. this does not apply at all to me raising my kid. <laughs> like that wasn't helpful. But when I look at it through a different lens of throughout time and Jesus and lineage and his faithfulness, 
then all of a sudden I can apply it to raising kids and yeah. it becomes That's right. applicable. So yes, the Bible is applicable and we can get every, things from it, yeah. but it is all about perspective. And I think there is, you know, it's God's word, but there's also the Holy Spirit in you talking to you yes. through God's word. Yeah. And so it's a both and like, you may not get yeah. it just from the words on the paper. You like, yeah. there is something that praying about it, talking yeah. with in community yeah. about it. Like there's something else that gets deepened. And that's the crazy thing about God's word is there, there are the biblical truths that come in context that are important that, so for instance, we take, that means teaching something in context, <clears throat> but God can use his word to stir something in you that maybe that's not the context, but God used it to activate in you. Yeah. So like, for instance, uh, the big one, we've all heard Sunday school. I mean, it's taught for years and adults have done this as well. David and Goliath, you can slay the Goliaths in your life. Right. Okay. That's not the intention of the story. The story of David and Goliath is not to talk about that we all have Goliaths. And if we just have faith in God, we can slay our Goliaths. That's misusing the text. The text is really about you have this, so you have a King Saul who's not doing his job, <laughs> who God said, listen, when you want a king, this is what you're going to get. Saul is afraid of Goliath. David, who has spent all this time out in the field with the sheep protecting them, is a man after God's own heart. At this point, a young man after God's own heart. And he slays Goliath, but he slays it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Goliath was threatening Israel. Goliath was a threat to what God was wanting to do. And God was showing through David his faithfulness. And David was going to be king. Last time I checked, none of us are going to become king over Israel. And I'm we're get, not. I'm getting there. You're getting there. Just yeah. keep on working yeah, at it, John. Just a few more years. Prince John. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He does look PJ. like a prince. He, oh. does, he does look like a prince. Yeah. You do. Oh, thank like, you. Yeah. Like, you know, from Tangle. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's also got the Norwal thing with his hair. The Norwal, like that's the one of his. Five thousand three hundred eighty fourth in line. That's right. That's what I. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly. All of a sudden, we find a very distant cousin. Yeah. We're watching the crown, and all of a sudden, the hopples show up. <laughs> in the crown. Yeah. they're like the way distant yeah. cousin. Oh boy! But I think this is what's helpful about this is when you realize that you don't always have to read scripture to get an application. Sometimes the application is what you learn about God. And there's a lot of freedom in that because now let's say you don't understand something, then you can go, God, I don't understand this. And God's like, that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to understand everything. And that's, I think that's hard because the way we've been taught how scripture works is Sunday morning. Well, the pastor gets up and gives a sermon and he always has an application. Well, it's usually because pastors don't actually, they're usually not doing expositional or reading a whole text of scripture. They're picking the verses they want to support, which has its own dangerous practice if you're not careful. Which is also part of the reason why we've gone to more expositional preaching is sometimes there are things in the text that they're still God's word, but maybe they're not as helpful for us. Or maybe they're setting up a bigger story to get us to something bigger, a need for Jesus or whatever. Do you, um, when you're thinking through this idea of Tov, and I, I know we use the word Tov a lot because mm -hmm. it was intentional. That was not I mean, an accident. I even question you. Are you teaching us about Tov or are you teaching us about goodness? And That's you're right. like, I'm teaching you about Tov. And, and the reason is, is because goodness it, doesn't. It's, it's bigger than it's, goodness. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and that's one of the things. So let's. What I want to do. I want to do a little exercise here. Okay. Uh -oh. I want to talk is this about the Holy Spirit. Like, did this just come upon you? This just came upon me. I think. I think it's. I think it's the Holy Spirit. We're gonna. Yoga. We're gonna do. We're gonna do. <laughs> we're gonna do jumping jacks, and then we're gonna do lunges. Um, no. So this is. I want to do an exercise, but in uh, what I want us to do is I want us to think about what does Tove look like using adjectives or verbs. Because we think of Tove as just good. But it's more than that. And this is why I think I want to do this is 
when we look at the Bible, it flows from the characteristics of God. So for instance, when I love my neighbor well, that's Tov. Does that make sense? So what are some ways when you think, let's make Tov bigger than good. Those are all good things, but good doesn't, it doesn't contain it all. It's too small of a container to describe Tov. Uh, I think of without blemish. Okay. So give me an example. So, give me an example. Yesterday we went through the dock to check out all the paint chips and all the areas uh, and had this huge long list of things we need to fix and make, make it look nice. Tove would be, there's not, there's not marks. It's complete. It's whole. Restoration mm -hmm. almost. Okay. Restoration. Yeah. What other ones? I went in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way off because I've just learned no, about this too. But. No, it's okay. And this is, but this is why I want us to stretch about it because we, that word good is not big enough. And I think that's why I want it to be verbs or adjectives ways to describe Tove. Yeah. So I'm like thinking of. Verbs, I guess, but how just like one, you can't pick just one verb that encompasses all of what Tove is. So it's like several. But the one that popped into my head was like sharing. Yeah. Sharing your testimony or sharing what Jesus has done through you to someone else is bringing goodness. It's Tove. Well, and I, what if, what if we even took it a step further? Sharing a meal together mm -hmm. is Tove. It's tov, especially when we're doing it as the body of Christ. That's communion. Yeah. Communion is coming together for the ultimate tov. And what makes it tov is that God has commanded it to us. What other ones? And I just, I, I, I just want to have fun well, with I this. Thought of, I thought of like resting with God. Yeah. Just taking the time to remind you, not looking for the next application or the next 10, like top 10 things to do if you want to be a quote unquote good Christian. No, it's like, sitting down and resting and listening to what God's saying and just yeah. taking time to <laughs> breathe, I guess. Yeah. I would even add on that Tove is not being rushed or hurried. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a Tove can also be urgency though. Yeah. Mm. Like I think about injustice when we care about the things that God cares about. So when we stand up for the child who in the womb, who's going to be killed, when the church actually cares about that, that's Tove. But not just the life in the womb, but the life of the person on the other side of the border who yeah. is, you know, maybe struggling with food or, or no, sorry, go no, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, or the mom with the child in the womb. That's right. Caring for the mom, even if she's sinned, right. even if a woman has an abortion, it's tove to show grace and compassion to that person. What are some other ones? Oh, I thought of one. <laughs> no, there's a, not a million, but a lot. There probably are millions. I mean, if you think about it, there's. I was, I don't, I think this could be Tove. You know, like when you're on vacation and you're just totally relaxed and chilled. Mm, absolutely. Just ch not chilled. Chill. Chill. You're not cold. You're not, you know <laughs> when you're chilled? You know you're chilled. Um, nice Chianti. You know you're just like, I'm just present. Fully yeah. present. I think that's Tove. Yeah. I, I think of. And, and this is why I wanted to do this is we have to think of good as so much bigger than just, oh, that's good. That word, it, it, it's excellence. It's as things should be. Yes, it's moral. Um, justice, when justice is done well, when it's done out of, not done out of vengeance or revenge, but it's done because justice is necessary. That is tov because God is a God. He is just. We look at the character of God. Everything that God is, is tov. God doesn't just do tov. He is tov. Um, compassion, empathy is hope, hope mm -hmm. and our people need hope. So uh, I, I guess I, I wanted to leave off on this and, and before we get any closing thoughts, 
the way we ended off the sermon was it's not just about doing good or being good, though we are need to be those things. As the church, we need to do good. We need to do tov in the world. We need to be tov. We need to be good people. And that means how we are moral and ethical. But to bring tov, I think it, the more that we can change our perspective, have that paradigm shift, and start thinking about, like even I think about the, the um, launch party. Like that could have just been a party, but why did we invite our neighbors? We invite them because we want to love on our neighbors. We want them to know we love them without condition. We're not, we're not going to love them just because they come to Zion. Zion loves them because that's what we're called to be as a people that loves. And hopefully as we're going out, prayerfully as we go out, maybe if we think of Tov as not just good, but actually bringing Tov, bringing who God is into every, as you said, God's with us in it. How do we intentionally bring Tov? And the person may not even realize it was Jesus that blessed them. Like that's when it moves to selfish is uh, I need to make sure that people know what I did. Um, Sometimes you bless somebody and I'll just say, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Um, But sometimes we just do things anonymously, trusting that we're doing them because God asked us to. I actually, I think about a time uh, we were struggling financially. And uh, I remember I went into, and it was someone, a friend who had come over. Uh, and I had, I had like five or six friends over and we go up on our nightstand and there was $300 just sitting there. And the person never said anything. And I'm pretty sure who I knew who it was, but they didn't want to make it a big deal. They didn't tell me they left it. They just left it there. And I remember going, oh my gosh, I felt so loved in that moment and cared for it. I hadn't shared with anybody the struggle financially we were wrestling with. I think Indy was maybe a year old at this point. That was Tove. Yeah. And they didn't have to tell me. I already knew I was loved by Jesus. They were just being obedient. They were bringing, they were showing God in that, not themselves. And what would it look like for Zion to do that? What would it look like for all of our ministries to do that? And I wonder how that might change if our our perspective shifted. If we looked at things maybe a little bit differently, I wonder what that might do to our community and in our community. If we were bringing God, not Zion, what if we were bringing Jesus, not Zion? What if it wasn't about Zion? What if it was about Jesus, the hope of the world being in there? Any last thoughts before we close up? Um, I have two thoughts. Yeah. One, John has a heart on his arm. Because his <laughs> wife do. works here and she loves him. I do. Also, yes. Jason would like a shirt that says, so not Tove, bro. And I really do want to. I want make, a shirt. We're gonna make this happen, so you can click below to order pre-order yours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, Jennifer just spoke it out bold, and then we're gonna have... <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get emails about this. No, I'm just kidding. I think it'd be amazing to have a shirt that says "So not so Tove, bro." Tove, bro. I actually, or, yeah, there could be a positive spin too of like. Put to- tove in your how about totally Tove? It. That was totally Tove. Totally Would it be better to say so not Tove, bro, or totally Tove? Because mm, one is negative, but the other is positive. Maybe we do two shirts. Maybe, maybe We're going to start a whole Tove clothing reversible. line. Oh, uh, so <laughs> I want to tell you, the, the other book that I read, and I want to close with this, my story. Megan, did you have anything, John? <laughs> I know mine wasn't profound. I'm sorry, <laughs> No, guys. it was not profound, but it was awesome nonetheless. Um, so the, the two books that I read, the first one was called Hope Quotient by Ray Johnston, and highly recommend reading it. Great book, encouraging. Um, the second was a book called The Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight. And that's actually what got me thinking about this whole thing of Tove. I'm not that smart to figure that out on my own. That's why I read a lot. <laughs> um, but the birth, the book was actually birthed out of heartache. 
Uh, and for those who are, are familiar with the story, maybe not, um, there was a, there's a mega church in the United States that the lead pastor, he used to go to this church. Lead pastor who'd done a lot of wonderful things, turned out had been um, sexually harassing and abusing women for many years. And you say he used to go to this church? No, no, not this church. He was the lead pastor at another church. Oh. And Scott McKnight went to, went to that okay, church. I'll just say it, because if you read the book, it was Willow Creek. And Bill Hybels, who had done a lot of wonderful things. And this was the hard part. Bill Hybels, I mean, I had many of his books. I went to conferences from Bill Hybels. And, and God used Bill Hybels. And I, I want to say this right here. Bill Hybels is just as flawed, as broken as anybody else's. His sins just caught up with him. That's all. Um, and he didn't have accountability and systems yeah. in place. And Scott McKnight went to Willow Creek. And he shared the story that when the news, the first accusation broke, his first thought was, oh, poor Bill. Oh, this is another another person trying to put a good man down. And then he started reading about the different women who were there. And Scott McKnight's a very well-known theologian and author. And he's like, I knew all these women. These were godly women who loved Jesus, loved the church. And he went from, oh, poor Bill, to, oh, Bill. And he talked about what led up to um, a church that abuses, to spiritual abuse, to here, in this case, sexual abuse, to cover-ups, started because they lost their sense of what was good. And so then he, that's the whole premise of the book is that we're called to be a Tove church. And what does Tove look like? And I'll be honest, as I listened, it was an audio book that I listened to. As I was listening to it, I was challenged because there were some things in there that I was like, yes, that's absolutely wrong, 100%. And then there were things I listened to and I went, oh my gosh, I've done those things. And instead of finger pointing at other people or Bill Hybels, I realized how easy it is to fall into that trap of not doing the things, to, to moving away from Tove. And then he goes into painting a picture of what a Tove church looks like. And it, if you want to check it out or listen to the audiobook, it was a, a great listen. I'm sure it even a great read as well, but a very challenging one. And there were some things in there that very much inspired the sermon. Um, but it really got me thinking about what is what would it look like for a church to be Tove? A church to bring Tove into the world. And so those two books, The Hope Quotient, by Ray Johnston, another great book, and then The Church Called Tove uh, by Scott McKnight. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that if as you're listening to this, we hope you came to the, the launch party on Sunday. We don't know who won the barbecue or the, the smoker yet. Green Mountain Grill Smoker, the thing is dope. We, uh, I, if I could win it, I would have, but we, we purposely made it so staff couldn't put their names out, which, by the way, bummed out a lot of staff. Uh-huh. Um, but I hope that if whoever came, I hope that they experienced the love of Jesus and saw a community who loves each other well. And be prepared because this coming Sunday, we're going to get into our new values and kind of what our new, our new I don't want to say slogan, but it's really what we're trying to be as a church. I'm really excited for it. That being said, thank you so much for tuning into the Breakthrough Breakdown. If you found this helpful, share it with other people. Leave a comment. I'm Jason. I'm Megan. I'm John. I'm Jennifer. You have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown. And Bob Goff. <laughs>